Star Workforce Studio. Gave me more confidence to be able to go to work every day. And I would highly recommend anyone with a disability so that because it can really change a life. VR Workforce Studio, podcasting the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation through the inspiring stories of people with disabilities who have gone to work. In their position at NASCO Cabinetry. As well as the professionals who have helped them. A job and a career. You got to look at how life-changing this is. And the businesses who have filled their talent pipelines with workers that happen to have disabilities. To help expand registered apprenticeship. These are their stories. Because there's such a great story to tell about people with disabilities. Now here is the host of the VR Workforce Studio, Rick Sizemore. Welcome to episode 85 of the VR Workforce Studio podcast. On today's show, the woman who coined the phrase, VR gave me the spark I needed to ignite success in my life. Laura Williams, mechanical assembler at ComSonics in today's big inspiration showcase, as we continue celebrating the 100th anniversary of vocational rehabilitation. We talk with Kathy Hayfield, the commissioner of the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services, as it's not only the 100th anniversary of VR, this year marks the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which we celebrate in July. Later in today's show, we talk with Jim Rothrock about the Virginians with Disabilities Act, which actually preceded the ADA by about five years. Jim was involved in the grassroots effort to get the VDA, the Virginians with Disabilities Act, passed some three and a half decades ago. He takes us back to look at how the VDA came into being and eventually led to the emergence of the ADA. Well, if you've not seen the YouTube video, A Century of Success, we're including it in today's show notes, produced by our friends out at the National Clearinghouse for Rehabilitation Training Materials, highlighting six stories of vocational rehabilitation. That was part of their 100th anniversary celebration in June. And one of those stories is about today's guest, Laura Williams. She holds industry-recognized credentials as a manufacturing specialist and a manufacturing technician one. She is a registered apprentice and now works as a mechanical assembler at ComSonics. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Now, how long have you worked at ComSonics? It'll be two years, June the 4th. Wow, so you're right at an anniversary. Now, in the video, you say you're a mechanical assembler, but you've advanced to become an electronics technician Apprentice, tell us about that. I was interested in expanding my career. So electronic technician apprentice sounded really great. So I was able to take electricity one and it's helped a lot and kind of some of the stuff I do now. So uh, tell us about your routine day at work and how you've grown since starting the job there at Comsonics. Right now I'm building ting sensors. So there's, these little plastic things you plug in the wall, and inside is a circuit board with many parts on it that have been soldered. So I've been putting them in the cases and then closing the cases up, put labels on them, and then putting them in the box ready for shipment out to the customers. Now, how did vocational rehabilitation and, and being at Wilson Workforce help you get ready for this job? It prepared me to 
be ready for the workforce and what to expect, and especially the interviewing process. I got computer support specialist training, and then I got manufacturing technician training and obtained manufacturing specialist one, manufacturing technician one, and OSHA 10. But I heard about the manufacturing program at WWRC, and it interested me a lot, and I love to build things. So where do you see your career going from here now that you've gotten established as an apprentice? Like just moving up. I like to do different things. What would you want uh, someone who's never heard of this program to know most about the training and the help you got to get this job? I would want them to know um, it's it's worth it and that they'll be fully capable of pursuing their career with the help that's able to be provided. I mean, it helped a lot getting accommodations, which helped tremendously. And What kind of accommodations are provided as part of your job? I would say like things had... Like some things be lowered so I can reach them better. Um, I've had a chair accommodated for me so I can have my feet on something so better posture. I had a reacher to help me get some things down. Well, having a a different body size and type uh, gives you certain challenges that you've obviously overcome and you've been very successful. But the folks at ComSonics talked about how you walked through the door on day one, really ready to do the job. I think it's great. It means a lot. I mean, I was really determined having a job. I really wanted a job. How has that changed your life having this job? It changes it in a way of showing that disability, having a disability is not necessarily going to stop you from actually have an employment you just have to find the right place and the right people and and long as you're determined and confident and do well in your classes anything's possible if you put your mind to it how does this success make you feel especially knowing you're part of a program that's been around 100 years i think it's great i think it's a wonderful thing for many people um with many challenges because I mean, in my experience and other people's experience, that there are a lot of times there's people that will look at you or see you, but they won't give you the chance to see what your capabilities are. And I think having this program really helps people to actually have a chance at what other people have a chance at. But help me... From day one, especially with driving, that's huge because I'm more independent and I can take myself to and from work. And then it gave me more confidence to be able to go to work every day. And I would highly recommend anyone with a disability to go there because it can really change a life. David Leon is the Deputy Director for Workforce Programs at the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services and leads the agency's efforts to engage business. Laura's story reminds us that when we work with individuals to tap into their abilities and interests and work with business to find their needs, we can create matches that turn into long-term careers and success. I'm Laura Williams, and I'm a mechanical assembler at ComSonic celebrating the 100th anniversary of vocational rehab. 
Later in today's show, Jim Rothrock joins us to talk about what it was like to be part of the grassroots movement that helped pass the Virginians with Disabilities Act some 35 years ago and how it helped bring about the Americans with Disabilities Act, which celebrates its 30th anniversary this year on July 26th. But now we're fortunate to welcome the commissioner for the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services and a woman who has spent her entire career helping people with disabilities. Kathy Hayfield joins us now from her office in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome, Kathy. Well, thank you, Rick. Well, Kathy, vocational rehabilitation has been around now 100 years. And, of course, the backdrop for all of this is the program that started out serving people with mostly physical disabilities has evolved through the years with an ever-increasing emphasis on the value that people with disabilities bring to the workforce. And today... Vocational rehabilitation is integrated into the workforce system and working more closely with education through the Workforce Innovation and Opportunities Act. So what are some of the things you consider most important in how VR has evolved through the years as we celebrate this century of service? Well, there are so many. And I've been involved in the vocational rehabilitation program and before that, the Title I workforce programs for a good 40 years. And what I've really seen is a greater focus on giving people the tools they need to be successfully employed. So for example, today we're focusing on the quality of employment that people attain. In order to have good quality employment, you have to be educated. You have to have a credential. And it's fabulous if you have a plan that's a career pathway in order to build on your skills, just like you and I have, Rick. So that's that's been a really wonderful change. Also, over the years, support employment has grown to serve people with intellectual disabilities in a way that we never saw possible. Today, we're customizing jobs so that people who in the past wouldn't have been able to work are working. Also today, we're seeing that every single person can work if they want to work. So we're working harder and harder to build a plan around an individual's needs, not trying to just fit them into a system. It's really been a wonderful change over the years. And as employers need to fill jobs, They're learning that that pool of talent is right in front of them. Well, I really see that there is competitive integrated employment opportunity for all people who want it. We, the vocational rehabilitation system, we're challenged to provide the tools, the resources that people need so that they can achieve full employment. The onus is on us to help move people out of poverty, to provide the support systems so that everyone can work. We have to be creative and positive, and we really have to value people for themselves and provide a good, solid, person-centered plan. Person-centered is a, a term you're hearing in the healthcare system for elderly folks. It, it Instead of providing a system of services and plugging people into it, now what we do is we provide a system of services around a person's needs 
And we're working with all different kinds of partners. Things are not one size fits all anymore. So, Kathy, as we look to the future and think about vocational rehabilitation, what do you think is ahead? In the future, I see that we'll be more and more engaged with the business sector. We'll know what the labor market is, and that will help us improve the outcomes for people. We'll be looking at the value of people with disabilities in the workforce. The business sector has been telling us that for years. So there's going to be a lot more focus on equity and inclusion of people with disabilities in the workforce. Yeah. Uh, well, your vision at the at the macro level, because you lead the agency and more than just vocational rehabilitation, but you're very focused on helping Virginia's older adults and people with disabilities to escape poverty so they can uh, live safer, be more independent, live more productive lives. But how does VR fit into that vision? So people with disabilities live in poverty more than any other population of people. It's disproportionate. The onus is on us to bring all the partners together to serve a person where they need to be served and in their community. We're hearing terms like integrated resource teams, braided funding. It's so critical that we work as a village and we use all of the resources that are available for people to help them live more fulfilling lives, help people reach independence, interdependence, so that we're all working together, so that they can have good, solid homes to live in, strong nutrition, so that all of the services are pulled together so that people can be pulled out of poverty and live full lives. So, Kathy, what do you value most about VR? Well, first of all, I would say that all people can work if they want to work. That's a value. I also believe that services should be person-centered, that the skills that are needed to be successful in employment, that we provide the tools and the resources. That's on us. We also should think from a lens of equity and inclusion, and that's in all of the services we provide at DARS. We need to value people for themselves, for their abilities. We need to think about people as whole people and offer them opportunities to meet their dreams. Kathy Hayfield is the commissioner for the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services, celebrates her 40th year of service to people with disabilities this year. Jim Rothrock has spent his entire life in vocational rehabilitation. It's certainly no stranger to our podcast, Welcome back, Jim. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Jim, we just heard from Commissioner Hayfield out at the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Service talking about the 100th anniversary of vocational rehabilitation. Uh, We were having a conversation about the ADA's 30th anniversary, and she said, you know, the first time I saw Jim Rothrock, he was an advocate working on the Virginians with Disabilities Act. So I'm wondering if you could take us back about three and a half decades and tell us what was going on, how you were involved uh, in a what I'm going to call a wheels on the ground effort to get VDA passed. 
this question brought back some really fond memories that I'd almost forgotten. Um, the history of the Virginians with Disabilities Act, uh, which is a precursor to the Americans with Disabilities Act, in fact, uh, began during the uh, uh, John Dalton administration. Governor Dalton removed uh, Virginia from the Developmental Disabilities Act because he felt that the feds were requiring the state to provide something that he did not necessarily support, which was an advocacy organization that could uh, pursue legal remedies. Mm. Uh, so he he removed us from that and in so doing gave up a small amount of money, probably I, I think it was around $100,000, but replaced it with state funds so that there was no money lost. But the um, the presence of the agency was diminished some. It was a very teeny agency in state government. Um, and the agency for advocacy was uh, diminished. Uh, some individuals, some advocates, predominantly from the Tidewater area, representing Centers for Independent Living, and an organization that I had the good fortune to be aligned with, Handicaps Unlimited of Virginia, of Virginia, approached Chuck Robb in his uh, run for governor to replace Governor Dalton uh, and said this should be an issue to, one, get Virginia back into that federal program providing advocacy, and two, looking at the opportunity to expand civil rights for individuals with disabilities if and when the governor won. Well, Governor Robb thought that was a, a noble uh, add to his campaign and the fact that the uh, federal government changed its policy and made the monies that we got from the uh, advocacy program, you, you, you had to have that advocacy program in order to leverage out voc rehab dollars and other federal dollars. So although uh, Dalton made a very low level um, decision to get out of the program, staying out of the program would have cost multi-millions of dollars. So Rob had an issue that not only made uh, good social sense, but made very, very good dollar sense. So he went about uh, getting some individuals led largely by Carolyn Hodgins uh, to uh, look at what the bill would be. And uh, a Virginians with Disabilities Act was crafted and uh, introduced in 1984 to the General Assembly, um, and it was it was kind of soft settled in the first run by saying this was just a small housekeeping bill, uh, and it had a wonderful patron, a, a gentleman by the name of Warren Stambaugh, a Democrat from Northern Virginia who worked with Jordan Goldman from the governor's office to uh, push this Rob priority through. And sure enough, it went through the House uh, with, with uh, no problem whatsoever. But uh, after passing the House, um, somebody at the Chamber of Commerce leaked a memo for, that the Chamber was providing to its members noting that this bill would just lead to putting large numbers of individuals or Virginians with disabilities on the dole, quote-unquote. Mm. 
And uh, that got the attention of the state papers. And all of a sudden, the Senate woke up when the bill came over from the House and read it. And lo and behold, they saw that it was a fairly sweeping piece of civil rights legislation. Uh, and, and it was one of the first state actions that were following the Federal Rehabilitation Act of 1973. So uh, what went through the House without a problem came to, came to a screeching halt in the Senate. And, um, and, and, and it went from being a small item on page six in the papers to being above the fold on the front uh, the front page of the papers and really got a great deal of attention uh, across the state from Republicans and Democrats, people for it and against it. Uh, and, and it began a, a good discussion that lasted the year. The Senate chose to not act on the bill that passed the House, but to carry it over, quote unquote, and scheduled a bunch of hearings around the state uh, which, although uh, many of the advocates, including myself, thought was just awful news, uh, really turned out to be a very good, good move for a, a number of pro a number of uh, a number of methods allowed were allowed to occur. Um, we we had hearings all around the state, and and people saw that that this bill, which impacted employment and transportation and education and voting rights um, and was uh, posited to assure that uh, Virginian with a disability had equal rights as anybody else uh, in the Commonwealth to uh, engage in remunerative, remunerative employment and the things that every other Virginian does, it was it was it had been denied to many of those individuals uh, throughout those hearings we heard individuals with disabilities talk about their uh, lack of education in some regards their their ability their inability to access uh, jobs and restaurants and movie theaters and museums and uh, and the members of the legislation the, the legislators in the Senate uh, who were led by Joe Gartland, Northern Virginia, Democrat Clancy Holland, a, a wonderful legislator from Tidewater, Charlie Waddell from Northern Virginia, Aniko Barker, a funeral director from uh, Danville, Frank Nolan from the Valley. These gentlemen heard stories that demonstrated this was just not an academic idea. It was a, a real-life problem. And fortunately, they, uh, the advocates led by people like Mary Ann Cachette from the Valley, uh, W.B. Scott, John Chapel, Ralph Shillman, Ed Turner, uh, these, these advocates were able to show that the problems presented had uh, solutions that could fairly easily be obtained. And after the hearings uh, became successful, you saw the... Uh, opposition shrink and there was significant opposition the the merchants the uh, retail merchants association the manufacturers association the chamber of commerce local governments uh, all saw that their um 
jobs would be made more difficult because they had to look at everything they did and ascertain where barriers uh, came up and in most cases were forced to remove those barriers. And um, although that was the good business move to do, if they didn't do that, there were possible legal remedies provided in the state circuit courts that got their attention and it showed that this was a, uh, a serious bill. Uh, a good friend of mine back in the day was the clerk of the Senate, and he often commented about the large number of people with disabilities that showed up for these hearings. I didn't tell him that it wasn't that many people necessarily, but uh, when you get three or four electric wheelchairs in a room and four or five people with white canes and seeing eye dogs and a couple of sign language interpreters, it fills up a room pretty quick and, and demonstrates that there are people around the Commonwealth that are for this bill or for this issue. So we saw the opposition wane. We saw the government, Governor Robb continue to offer his unwavering support. And in the spring saw that we would get the bill passed and enacted in, in July the 1st when those bills are uh, brought into, into effectiveness. And, and it really was a, uh, an opportunity for the Commonwealth of Virginia to lead in civil rights legislation, which unfortunately the state has not always been in that uh, perspective as a, as a leader. But in this case, what we did in Virginia was a model for most of the other states to follow in the subsequent years. You're an absolute encyclopedia of valuable, valuable reflections and, in, and information about this evolution uh, of the VDA, which became the ADA. Right. It, it's been an amazing evolution. And so I, having spent your whole life in vocational rehabilitation and advocacy and hel- helping people with disabilities, how does it make you feel to look back on those early days when it was such a struggle and to see how much things have changed over the past uh, several decades? Well, I, I'll never forget I did a lot of training uh, after the bill was put into, into uh, effect. And I'll never forget speaking to uh, a banker's association. And one of the bankers from uh, the, from somewhere in the state commented that he had he didn't see this as a problem because he had never seen a person with a disability in his bank <laughs> and and your laughter is exactly what the room was <laughs> up with because this poor guy just didn't get it but he eventually <laughs> eventually he did get it and and I think that's the type of uh, response that that does give one a sense of accomplishment and and seeing things change and and now in the commonwealth we have a very active disability rights movement that um, routinely addresses very difficult issues and becomes very engaged with our state's general assembly uh, to make sure that individuals who heretofore have been pretty much silent their um, their voices are heard, and the slogan that's often used is, is "Nothing about us without us." Oh, and absolutely! That is becoming, that's becoming kind of the the routine that, fortunately, uh, 
started back in the uh, in in the uh, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, there was one great lady by the name of Peggy Bendrick who uh, had a spinal cord injury, had done some rehabilitation at Wilson Rehab Center, um, and she was uh, an advocate in the late sixties and entire seventies who got everybody's attention and was very in your face about important issues and and her spirit continues on when you see thousands of individuals with disabilities uh, going through the capitol during the sessions in current times and making sure that again nothing without us nothing about us without us well jim you've you've lived an amazing life and made enormous contributions to our state and to people with disabilities uh, you talked about the the numbers of people with disabilities and how things have changed. What we're seeing today in the midst of this coronavirus and the, the pandemic is that many of the jobs, the crucial jobs that keep our society moving forward, are being staffed by people with disabilities in manufacturing, driving trucks and transportation logistics, in grocery workers. So it has to feel affirming that you've been part of something that's brought that about? Well, I do get a a sense of, uh, I guess you could call it pride or accomplishment when I go pick up a subscription at my local pharmacy and drive through. And many times the farm tech that I get uh, is, is obviously a person with a disability and it's always real good for him to give me whatever I'm getting that day. And, and I just have a, a, a little smile saying, Hey, that that's, that's good on you, buddy. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you and all that you've done through the years and for this, this reflection that helps us understand uh, just how important the work you and others did uh, in the early days, how important that was and, and the results leading to the passage of the ADA as we continue pushing forward, filling the talent pipelines for business and industry and connecting people with disabilities to those waiting jobs and that uh, eventual outcome of people with disabilities being employed. We, we thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Take care. You can learn more about Jim Rothrock and hear other interviews with the man known for the phrase, never confuse being awake with being alert. Just check the show notes at drworkforcestudio.com. It's time for our National Clearinghouse Update with Sherry Takamoto. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Yes, and wasn't that so much fun last month for the 100th anniversary of vocational rehabilitation? Oh, it was absolutely awesome talking to great consumers who are doing such great work in their lives. Yes, everyone was so impressive, but you're always able to ask the right questions and weave their stories together in order to surprise us, raise our expectations, and celebrate their success. Well, thank you so much. It was easy to do because these are some great stories. And they're wonderful, but not so rare. Um, CSAVR collected links to many other success stories from state VR agencies that I'm sharing. Awesome. And how about that vocational rehabilitation anthem, Lead on VR? The anthem, of course. Yes. George Dennehy makes us all want to sing along. Yeah, that's the one thing that I hear from uh, listeners at this podcast is, I can't get the song out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) 
And and you have the music and the karaoke version. It's so cool because people are downloading the karaoke version and tapping their local talent. So people are able to sing that song at their meetings and regional events. So that's uh, something we're very excited about. Yes, and, and this month we have so much more to celebrate. We have the 30th anniversary of the ADA. The 30th anniversary. That's so cool. And so this month I'm sharing a link to our NCRTM accessibility resource page. You know, RSA grantees are really stepping up and making sure that what they're posting is accessible so everyone has access to their wonderful materials. And we have instructional videos that demystify how to make Word, PowerPoint, and PDF documents accessible, as well as two brand spanking new Excel um, videos. Well, these resources you provide really are essential in every rehabilitation professional's toolbox. So keep up the great work. I have three other things to share. I also have something from EEOC on uh, ADA and COVID-19, something from the Southwest ADA Center on um, inmates and visitors because um, the jail populations and prison populations are the next phase for ADA, especially with deaf inmates. Mm -hmm. And a list of resources from our friends at the Workforce GPS on how to celebrate ADA. Well, thank you, Sherry. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. And again, congratulations to you and the team that put together the VR 100, a century of success uh, video that uh, everyone is downloading and watching. If you've not seen that, of course, there's a link in the show notes uh, and you'll want to check that out. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. You can find contact information for today's guests as well as links and resources for the National Clearinghouse in our show notes at vrworkforcestudio.com. Here's Lynn Harris, Director of the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The Foundation is so pleased to bring you these exciting stories of how vocational rehabilitation is changing people's lives by helping them gain the skills and credentials they need to be successful in business and industry. We thank all of our partners in podcasting who made this episode possible. Able Now, Aladdin Foods, the Council of State Administrators of Vocational Rehabilitation, CVS Health, and the Hershey Company. You can find out more by visiting us at wwrcf.org or find our contact information in the show notes at vrworkforcestudio.com. You can always find another exciting episode as we podcast the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation here at the VR Workforce Studio. Until next time, I'm Rick Sizemore. The VR Workforce Studio podcast is owned and operated by the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation publishes and distributes the VR Workforce Studio and manages all sponsor arrangements. Audio content for the podcast is provided to the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation by the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services in exchange for promotional considerations. 